Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, happy Mother's Day. And uh, thank you to Erica Ville for that great acting or telling the truth. I don't know which one it was. But great job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so glad that you are here um, on this Lord's Day, on this day that we do recognize uh, moms, and we're so thankful for them. And so uh, in honor of that, I'm going to ask that you take out your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. As uh, this morning, I want us to look at uh, an example of a godly mother or a, a, a woman of faith. And the woman that I want us to look at this morning, found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, um, she goes by the name Hannah. How many of you have heard of her before? I want us to look at uh, the woman, uh, the mother, her name is Hannah. If your name is Anne or Anna or Annabelle or Anastasia or, or Hannah, you come from this person's name. And Hannah's name, it means grace. Her name means grace. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at, at the example that Hannah uh, gives to us, specifically women, uh, women of faith, and, and how women of faith can live in a world gone mad. This should have no relevance whatsoever today. But I want us to see, how did Hannah do it? How did she remain a godly example? How did she remain a woman of faith? in the midst of a world gone mad. Let's jump right into our text this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and let's set the scene for you. And I think you may end up seeing some similarities to our culture um, today as we work our way through it. But verse number 1, it's on the screen behind me as well. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathium Zophium, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, who created tofu. That's, that's the message version, I'm sorry. The son of Ziph and an Ephraimite. Well, the book of 1 Samuel is the beginning of a new chapter in the life of Israel. As we begin this book, or as this book begins, it's the story of Israel looking for a leader, looking for a godly leader to lead the nation. Now, if you do just a little bit of history with me, a, a Jewish history, we know that um, in the book of Genesis, God called Abram from uh, the Ur of Chaldees. He says, I'm selecting you from among the nations, and I want you to go to a land that I promise you. And so we know that God called Abraham to be the father of many nations. After centuries of this people group rising up and increasing, uh, this people group ends up in Egypt. And from there, we read in the book of Exodus that God raises up another leader of the Israelite people. We know him as Moses. And Moses, he delivers the people out of Egypt. He delivers them out of Egyptian slavery. And he leads them through the desert, and he leads them to the promised land. But we know what happens, right? The Israelite people did not respond well to his leadership, and they disobeyed God. And so they spend 40 years walking around in the wilderness. 
And so at the end of the 40 years, they on the edge, they're on the edge of the promised land. And then Moses passes away, but he passes on the mantle of leadership to a man by the name of Joshua. And so Joshua gets the great privilege of leading this new nation into the promised land. And Joshua defeats the Canaanites, and and the Israelites enjoy life in the promised land. And things are good while Joshua is still alive. He's a great leader. He's a spiritual leader. The people respect him, and they follow him. But if you know Jewish history and if you know your Bible, you know that something happens as soon as Joshua dies. When Joshua dies, it says this, that the people of Israel forgot pretty much everything that Joshua and Moses had taught them. They forgot the law. And so what we see at the end of Joshua's life is we see the nation of Israel, uh, they get into a pattern. And the pattern goes like this. The people reject God, they turn to sin and idolatry, God then places judgment upon them and sends enemies their way, um, who then put them in some type of slavery again. After many years of that, the nation cries out for mercy, and then God does something. He sends a deliverer. He sends a deliverer, and we call them judges. And so the entire book of Judges is the story of that pattern that we see in Israel, where they sin, turn away from God, turn to idolatry, um, God sends judgment upon them, they cry out, and God sends a deliverer to them. That's the entire book of Judges. It is a very difficult day or time period in the life of Israel. By the end of the book of Judges, I want you to listen to this. By the end of the book of Judges, the nation is at civil war. The nation is at civil war because they don't like the other tribes within their nation. You get a picture? Do you see the picture? The tribes are turning against themselves. They don't like that tribe because, well, my tribe's bigger than your tribe. Or your tribe is, you're not good at this. And so they start creating this idea that my tribe is better than your tribe. And by the end of the book of Judges, the nation of Israel is at civil war. The last verse in the last chapter of Judges goes like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar today? Does tribalism sound familiar today? Does that sound like us in the book of Judges? Well, I I think it does. And so when we begin, or when 1 Samuel begins, the nation Israel, and I want you to listen closely to this, what I'm about to say. The nation Israel is in moral and spiritual chaos. And the nation is looking, wanting, and desiring a spiritual leader who will lead them to the promised land according to God's ways. And the people are desperate. They are desperate for a leader. And so now in verse number one, we are introduced to a man in this this situation. And we're introduced to a man by the name of Elkanah. 
Now, what do we know about this man, Elkanah? Well, some scholars will say this, that Elkanah is from the city, which is translated into Greek, the city of Arimathea. Does that name ring a bell to you if you are a Bible scholar? Joseph of Arimathea, the one who took down the body of Christ from the cross and then buried him in his tomb, that Joseph of Arimathea, scholars will say that this Elkanah is from that same area. Now, on a side note, you may be saying, Pastor, what does that have to do with me? That means that you can win your Sunday small group Bible trivia. There you go. (laughs) All right? But that's what we know about Elkanah. We also know this about Elkanah, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 6, and this is important, that he is a priest. He's a priest, which means this, that he's a Levite, which means that he has been called out by God because of his tribe to lead the people in worship, which means this man, Elkanah, who's in this middle of spiritual and moral chaos, this man seeks to obey God in every single thing that he does. Now, I mentioned that to you because, well, we're going to come to that in just a second, but, but the reality of this man, Elkanah, is this. He's not the main subject of this text. Elkanah is only in this story because of his wife. And all the women say, that's right. (laughs) Elkanah's wife makes Elkanah who he is. And that's what the text is going to tell us. Now look at verse number two, because we learned some more things about this context. Verse two, it says this, now he had two wives, I want you to write in the margins of your Bible and say, "Uh uh-oh, this is a problem. This is a problem because why? What did I tell you about Elkanah just a few seconds ago? He was a what? A priest. What does a priest do? They give their lives to God. They submit to God. They obey God in all things. And so here we have this man, this spiritual leader, who by all accounts is doing what he can to lead the nation, but there is one area of his life that he's not obeying God in, and it comes to the fact that he has two wives. Now, we're living in a culture today uh, where people would say this, and I've read these arguments and I've heard these arguments, and they'll say this, well, because the Bible talks about polygamy, then it means the Bible affirms polygamy. You've probably heard something like that before, that the Bible's not for monogamy. Monogamy means this, marriage is between male and female, that's it. And the argument will go this, well, you know, because the Bible talks about people having two wives, and that means that God is okay with that. Look at your neighbor and say, don't believe that. That's what you call poor hermeneutics. That's reading into the text that's not there. And listen, never take your theology from somebody who doesn't read the entire scriptures. Can I get an amen on that one? Don't take your theology from somebody who doesn't know it, who doesn't read it all the way through. Does God affirm uh, multiple wives? And all the women say what? No. And all the men say what? A little bit louder, men. A little bit louder. No. 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 I need to change this. I need to change my message right now. I need to go over the basics right here, right? No, what the Bible is doing, I want you to understand this. When in Scripture, you have what is called prescriptive 
and you have descriptive. In this story, this is descriptive. The Bible is explaining what's happening. It's just saying this is what is going on. And this is one of the great things about the Bible. And some of you may be here, and moms, this may include you, women, this may include you, but there may be some people who are watching online through our Facebook. This may be you as well, that, that, that you don't fully understand the Bible or comprehend it, but know this about the Bible. The Bible never runs away from the things that are bad in people's lives. The Bible doesn't hide. As a matter of fact, the Bible, if you kind of look, kind of emphasizes our weakness, does it not? The Bible never runs away from the fact that we all have problems. We all have issues. Look at your neighbor and say, doesn't that make you feel better? And the Bible doesn't run away from that. And so in this context, the Bible is explaining, listen, here's this man, he's got some issues. He's got some issues. Now continue looking on verse number two. He had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Write this word out in the margin of your Bible, out beside verse number two. Write the word barren. Barren. Hannah is barren. That's a problem. That's a problem. And this is identified very quickly because in a biblical worldview, in the worldview that the scripture teaches us, it teaches us this, that people of faith, women of faith, specifically today, so we're talking about Mother's Day, people of faith, women of faith are not without problems. The Christian life is not a life without problems. The Christian life is full of problems. It's full of problems that sometimes we don't fully understand. But here's the continuation of that biblical worldview, of a Christian worldview, is that sometimes in our lives as believers in Christ, God will use this pain in our life, it will use the problems in our lives, and he used them as a tool for good in our lives. And so when you understand that that is a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, that God can take the, the bad that's going on in your life, can take the, the barren things in your life, you can take the difficult things in your life, and the Christian worldview teaches that you can walk through those things because you know that God can use that as a tool for good in your life. Does that mean that we'll always understand? No. Do you think, ladies, ladies, do you think at this point in our story, do you think Hannah has any idea why she's barren? She has no clue. She doesn't know why, and she doesn't understand it. But what I love about Hannah and what you love about all people of faith, that things happen in their life that they don't, that, that may be uh, difficulties and maybe problems, and they don't understand them, but they never throw their faith out. Isn't that good? They don't throw their faith out, and neither does Hannah. She's barren. So here's the context, okay? Here's the context. The nation, the nation is in a spiritual and moral crisis. They need a leader. Elkanah has messed up. He has two wives, and he's supposed to be a spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, and now Hannah is barren. Now, if you think it doesn't get worse, guess what? It gets worse. 
Look at verse number three. Now, this man, we're talking about Elkanah, would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli were Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. By the way, the sons of Eli were evil. So we've got spiritual leaders who are not doing the godly things. They are giving in to the culture. That's verse 3. Verse 4. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So basically what this means is when Elkanah would go sacrifice, he would receive some meat back, and he would give uh, meat to his wife um, and to her children. So ever how many children he ha- they had, then he would give them that, uh, that meat to feed them all. But to Hannah, what's this another reminder of? She has no children. She's barren. The world's in chaos, moral chaos, spiritual chaos. She's barren. But look at verse 5. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. Why? For, for Elkanah loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6. Her rival, now who's Hannah's rival? Penina. The Hebrew for rival literally means rival wife. That's what it literally means. Women, would you like to have that? No, I don't think so. But here it is. Her rival, her rival wife, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her her womb. Out beside verse number six, I want you to write the word bullied. Write the word bullied. So in our text, in our context, here's what we see. The nation is, 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 is bad. It is, it is moral and spiritual chaos. Elkanah, a spiritual leader, has two wives. He's disobeying God's plan. Her, uh, Hannah is barren. Hannah is bullied. Now, for a second here, are you, are you getting the picture? This is a difficult situation for a woman of faith. This is a difficult situation for a woman of faith to remain faithful to her creator. Because here she is, she is a godly woman who loves the Lord, but she loves the Lord and the culture has gone bad. And the leaders that she looks up to, the spiritual leaders that she looks up to, are given in to culture. They're changing theology according to the culture. And she's going, what in the world do I do? Look at verse number seven. Are y'all still with me this morning? Look at verse number seven. It says this, and it happened. It happened. Meaning the bullying happened year after year. I want you to write out this beside verse number seven. Write out the word breakthrough. Hannah needs a breakthrough. She needs something that is going to get her through this culture that's gone bad. She's barren. She's bullied. Now she needs a breakthrough. She needs something to come in and to help her make it through these difficult times. Now, ladies, moms specifically, um, women, I'm sure at times you have felt like Hannah Maybe you're at a dead end, you're at a, you're at a deadlock, you may be thinking, I'm not making any progress in life. Um, uh, ladies, I, I, I understand, because I've had several ladies speak to me this week about what the world is teaching them as women, um, and, and I just have to say, ladies, the world is, is communicating to you multiple things that leave you in conflict. Ladies, would you agree with that? Because you have a large portion that says, ladies, 
work. You work, you don't worry about your family. You make a name for yourself. Then you have another group. They'll say, no, 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 no. Ladies, you're, you, you need to stay at home. You need to be a mom. And so you have these two voices that, that fight against each other. Or, there, or then you have other voices will say, specifically to moms, I mean, you need to champion your son or your daughter, and you need to make it all about them, be everything about them. And, and then for those of you who don't have children for, for, what, for whatever reason, then you're going, well, maybe, then maybe if I'm not a mom, am I less of a woman? Ladies, I, I, I feel for you in, in, in our culture today. I really, really do. I'm, my wife and I are raising two, two daughters. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, the world says, women, you are not to be an object. But yet, then the world says, you need to dress like you are an object. Are you with me? That's conflicting. That, that's difficult. It's difficult to raise women in a culture that is giving them conflicting advice. But in the midst of conflicting advice from a culture gone mad, we always go back to Scripture. We always go back to Scripture to tell us how we are to live and where we get our identity from. Ladies, moms, grandmothers, women of faith, I want you to see today how Hannah does it. She is a godly example of how you can live a godly life in a world gone mad. I think for the past several weeks we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, I felt like I've been speaking more specifically to men. And so today for the next, for the next 75 minutes, I want to speak to women I want to speak to you because, ladies, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. We need godly women to stand firm and to stand up and lead out in godliness. We need it. We as men, we need that as well. But ladies, moms, we need you. We need you to be godly. We need you to be women of faith. We need you to set the example so that the generations to come can maybe one day speak of you like the Bible speaks of Hannah. And all of this can be done in the midst of a culture gone mad. Well, I want you to write this down. Here's four things I want to share with you ladies. Number one, a godly woman makes it a priority to worship the one true God. Ladies, worship is to be your priority. Worship of the one true God, not the worship of yourself, not the worship of your husband, not the worship of your children, not the worship of your job, not the worship of, of, of how nice and clean and neat your house looks or, 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 or how clean your car is when you have three children, amen? That's not it. A top priority for a godly woman, a woman of faith, the top priority is worship. Look at verse 7. It happened year after year. 
What are we talking about? The badness, the bareness, and being bullied. Meaning this, bad things happen, ladies. Bad things happen, moms. Moms, our children can break our hearts, amen? It doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are, how old you are, how young you are. They will break our hearts. But even in the midst of this, our priorities should still be worshipped. It happened year after year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. Now that term in the Old Testament, uh, they went up to the house of the Lord, it always references worship. Meaning this, ladies, in the midst of a difficult situation, in the midst of a situation she didn't understand, she's barren, she doesn't get it, she's being bullied, the scripture says that she's brought to tears year after year by her rival, by another lady who loves her own man. And it says year after year she goes to the house of the Lord and she worships. Jennifer Yates, author on Biblical Women, wrote this about Hannah. Ladies, you might want to write this down. It's not on the screen, but I think this is so good. And ladies, hear this. Women who worship are focused on God and not on themselves. Women who worship are focused on God and not on themselves. Number two, women who worship aren't concerned what others think. Hello. Hello. Women who worship aren't concerned with what others think. They're focused on God and not themselves. And number three, women who worship set an example for others. Ladies, we need women. We need ladies, godly women of faith who make worship of the one true God their priority. Ladies, worship. Show your children how to worship. Show your friends how to worship. Show other people how to worship on Facebook. Social media, make that your priority. Let other people see what your priority is and let God be your priority. Um, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 2. This isn't on the screen, but, but look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Um, Hannah, we'll see this in just a minute, she begins to pray out of her trouble and out of her brokenness and out of her barrenness. She prays, God answers her prayer, and then in chapter 2, she writes this worship song. Listen to this, verse number one, chapter two. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Listen to this, there is no one holy like the Lord, indeed there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Isn't that good? Thank you ladies, I'm glad you said that was good. I thought it was. There's no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there's no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Listen, ladies, Hannah is proof that you can worship, that you can worship in the midst of your barrenness. You can worship in the midst of of being bullied, of being ridiculed. You can worship in the midst of your difficulties, ladies. I ask, I challenge you, I encourage you, you focus on the one true God and you make worship a priority. The second thing that we see from Hannah that I think is very applicable to ladies today, it's applicable to all of us as well, is number two, a godly woman prays continually. Hannah is a woman of prayer. In verses 10, verses 11, verses 12, 13, 15, and 16, and on into chapter 2, it talks about Hannah praying. Look at verse number 10. She, being greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. In the Old Testament, there are four women um, who are 
who are broken because they are barren, because they're not able to have children. You may remember these. Um, Sarah and Abraham. You remember that story? Sarah could not have could not have children. And then an angel says, well, listen, you're going to have a child. And what did Sarah do? She laughed. She said, this can't happen. There's no way. She laughed. Uh, Rebecca uh, was barren for a while, and, and her and Isaac, and she was just kind of indifferent to the whole thing. Uh, Rachel and Jacob, Rachel was barren for a while, and, but, but Rachel, instead of laughing, she became very irritated and so irritated that she told her husband Jacob, said, give me children or else I die. To which Jacob said, yes, ma'am. But when you read Hannah's story, ladies, when you read Hannah's story, and I think those other responses are very, those other responses are natural. They're natural responses. But Hannah responds supernaturally. Hannah is the only one that turns to the Lord in prayer, and she is the most prayerful of all of the ladies in the Old Testament who were barren. Meaning this, ladies, women of faith pray. Women of faith pray, and they pray about everything. There's nothing too small to pray about. There's nothing too big to pray about. Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication. You lift up your prayers. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Psalm 88 says this, Lord, every day I lift up my hands to you in prayer. And Hannah gives us an example. When you live in a world that's gone mad, when your world is in a moral and spiritual chaos, when your world does not have a leader over the nation that you desire, that you like, when your world is saying that you are barren and you are being bullied, here's what Hannah says. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. So women of faith, this is a great example for us today that we go to the Lord in prayer. Now, whenever I talk about prayer, a lot of times people say, well, pastor, I really don't know what to pray or how to pray. Well, let me give you an example of how you can pray. Everybody hold up your hand. Make sure you have five fingers, okay? If you don't, this isn't going to work, okay? If you have four fingers, it won't work. I'm just totally teased. If you have three, maybe, I don't know, but five. Here's a way that you can pray. Ladies, this is what you can do. You can pray, men, you can do this well. Your thumb, which is closest to you, when you pray, look at your hand, pray, this pray for the cleanliness of your heart, because it's the closest thing to your heart, closest thing to you. When you pray, pray that you are clean, that you are holy, that you are right with God. You got it? Next one, your index finger, your finger. This should remind you to pray for what's priority in your life, what's most important to you. What does the Bible say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's priority in your life? Pray for cleanliness, your heart. Pray for that which is important, your priorities. What are your priorities? Your tallest finger. Pray for those that you influence. Pray for those that you come in contact with that you can influence in a godly way. Cleanliness, priorities, influence, your ring finger, pray for relationships. Pray for those relationships that you have. Uh, wives, pray for your husbands. Husbands, pray for your wives. Y'all pray for your children. But pray for your relationships. And then your pinky finger, pray for those material things, those things that you need. You use that five-finger method to pray, that gives you something to pray about. So you use your hands all day. So whenever you see your thumb, your finger, you begin to pray for those things. But ladies, listen. Hannah gives us the example 
of being a woman of faith. Now look at verse number 11 and watch this prayer. Are y'all still with me this morning? All right, here we go. Verse 11. She made a vow. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, watch this, then I will give him to the NFL. No. Then I will give him to Major League Baseball. No. Then I will give him what? Moms, are you listening? Moms, are you listening? Hannah says, God, I'm barren. I'm being bullied. God, please give me a son. And notice she doesn't pray, God, give me a son so that my son will be better than the sons of Peninnah. Are you with me? Notice she's not saying, God, give me sons that are better than them. Give me sons that are, that are, no, no, no. She says, give me a son, and then I'm going to give him back to you. Meaning, God, you can do whatever you want to do with him. Meaning, I'm going to give him to you. I'm going to raise him in the ways of the Lord. But then I want you to direct him. Which means if you call him, if you call him into the ministry, you call him to the mission field, then, God, I'm going to rejoice over that because, God, he's yours. He's yours, God, and I mean, what a selfless prayer that is. For years she's been barren. For years she's wanted to hold a son that she can call her own. And she says, God, just give it to me. I want a son, Father, but Lord, I don't want a son for myself. I want him for you. She says, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Ladies, write this down. A godly woman purposely pours into the next generation. They purposely pour into the next generation. And, 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 and notice this. And can I? I'm going to be real bold here. I may make some of you mad. And that's fine. We need today, we need more moms, we need more godly women of faith to tell our sons and daughters that the most important thing in their life is the relationship with Jesus Christ, not baseball, not dance, not any other extracurricular activity. Are academics important? Yes. Students, go to school, do your work. Make good grades, do the best that you can. But you gotta do it. Why? Because mom and daddy said so, that's why. Academics are important. It's going to get you a job. Well, I don't want to work. Well, you're going to work. That's biblical. You're not going to sit around waiting for handouts. That's not how it works. That's not the biblical model. Go take out the trash. Are extracurricular activities great? Yes. Yes. 
All those things are great. They're wonderful. But all the trophies that you receive on this earth, you will never take them to heaven with you. So moms and dads, and I'm speaking to myself, okay? Why do we push them in those things that are not eternal? When we are living in a culture gone mad that continues to redefine gender, and we'd rather be more concerned about the medals that our kids receive. When our world continues to redefine marriage, why would we make it a priority to make sure that our, our sons and our daughters get into a certain club or whatever? When our world, when our culture is creating racism, by dividing races. Why are we as moms and as dads and as godly men and women, why are we running away? Are you with me? Does that mean we stop all the, no, 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 I'm not saying that because those are great avenues to, to teach students to teach children. I'm all for that. Man, I'm a product of, 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 of sports. I mean, can't you tell? I mean, I love it. I mean, that's what I wanted to give my life to. So please don't take me as just... But as believers, our priority has to be God and God alone. Because we have a culture that is redefining everything that we ever thought to be true. They're changing it. Moms, lead the charge to equip your sons and your daughters. And you pour into them. Be honest with you right now, we have a children's ministry. There's desperately in need of volunteers and workers. And I'm going to be honest with you. It breaks my heart that people don't want to serve children. I'm just going to be honest. Because the world's devouring our children. Hannah gives us the example. She begged God, God, I want a son. I want a son. And you grant me that son, I'm going to give him back to you. <laughs> Moms, have you given your children to the Lord so that the Lord can call them to do whatever he wants them to do? Meaning you don't Put your agenda on them. Are you with me? 
It's a beautiful, encouraging Mother Day's message this morning. Please do not email me. I just believe it's something that needs to be said. Well, let me close with this. A godly woman is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12 through 16. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Eli's the priest, Hannah's praying. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart and only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was what? Thought she was drunk. Man, and he's a spiritual leader. We messed up spiritual leaders here. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Then Hannah said, I ain't drunk. That's what the Hebrew says. I ain't drunk. And then look at what she says. She says, no, sir. (laughs) I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. Eli, you don't understand. I'm burdened. I'm broken. Sir, I have never, I haven't drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but you need to know this, Eli. I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken unto now out of my great concern. A godly woman is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with wine. You're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you spend your days broken, pouring out before the Lord. Praying over your children, praying for your children, praying for your spouse, praying for the cleanliness of your heart. If you don't have children, you're a woman of faith and you're pouring into others and you're praying for them because you're broken for the direction of the culture. And you're not afraid to raise children in that culture. So you commit yourself to praying and the power of the Holy Spirit. This past Friday, and I close with this, and sorry, I'm going really long. You're used to it now. Uh, This past Friday, as I was praying about this message, um, because I've just been burdened. Um, Obviously for men from Ecclesiastes and now reading through Scripture, just burdened for women. Um, I began to, began to, I I went for a walk, it was supposed to be a run. It started out as a run, went to a slow jog, went to a walk. Um, and I just began to pray. I said, Lord, would you just please give me wisdom? Just to speak to ladies. I said, Lord, you know, I'm not one. <laughs> I don't understand. But Lord, give me wisdom just to speak to ladies who are, who are moms ladies who aren't moms for whatever reason. Lord, let me speak to those maybe who, who have a great relationship with a mom or don't have a great relationship, but Lord, just let me be sensitive to speak to moms, to women. 
And I just began to pray. And as I prayed, a, a picture began to come into my head. And it was a picture of oncoming traffic. But there stood a, I don't know who it was. It wasn't, I just didn't see, I didn't see their face. I just saw the back of their head. They had long hair, so I knew it was a woman. So I see this oncoming traffic, and I had to see this woman walking straight into traffic. Bold. Unafraid. And, and the traffic was, was just going around just going around her. She just kept on walking. I was like, Lord, what is, what is that? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is. And then I just began to process and think. And, and I don't know if you know this, but when you walk or you run on the road, you, you walk into traffic. That's what you're supposed to do. So if you're walking out on the bridge, walk into traffic. Just want to let you know, okay? Why? It's safer because you want to see the car coming your way before they run over you. You want to see them in their eyes. <laughs> it's safer and you can jump out of the way if they're coming out of the way. Anyways, so that's what you're supposed to do. Typically when I'm walking and running, I see a car coming, I wave at them, not because I'm a friendly guy. I just want them to wave back so they acknowledge me, right? And here's what happens. Typically here's what happens. I wave, and I'm walking on the side of the road, and typically the car will go to the other lane and give me ample space. It's the way it works. But here's what I've seen, and this is all through this walking, vision, praying, all of this. But here's what I know has been happening recently. I wave, the car is not waving back, and the car isn't moving over. I'm seeing that more and more and more. And what I'm finding I'm having to do a lot more in walking and running is I'm having to jump out of the road onto, almost into the ditch. Does that, does that make sense? It's scary. But I see this lady walking in the middle of the traffic. The car's going around her, but she's bold. She's standing up tall. She's bold, not afraid. And it's just like the Lord just prompted in my mind that Chris, just as walkers and runners run into traffic, a Christian worldview and Christianity, we flow against culture. And for years, for years, we Christians could walk against culture, wave at the culture, and the culture would drive on the other side, give us ample space because they appreciated what we did. But now culture's not that way. We as Christians, we still try to wave, but the culture's no longer driving on the other side. They're staying close, and now Christianity is having to jump off the road almost into the ditch. Are you with me? So as I'm praying, I'll pray all process and all this stuff. I see this lady walking on the street into culture, bold, boldly. Ladies, that's what we need from you. Moms, that's what we need from you. Grandmoms, that's what we need from you. 
women who don't have children, we need that from you. We need women. We need women who are willing to walk into culture boldly. 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 Like Hannah. Worship's your priority. Prayer is your weapon. <laughs> Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fighting for that next generation. Women, we need you. We need you to lead. We need you to walk boldly into the culture so that the name of Jesus Christ will be made known. So that Jesus Christ's name will be made known. Father, we love you. Thank you for the moms in our lives. Thank you for the women who've poured into us. I pray in this church that godly women would be raised up to be bold so that your name will be magnified. Amen.